There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are in France, which means Tubi is more popular than cigarettes for breakfast. It's more popular than considering iced coffee a total abomination. More popular than loving political revolutions. More popular than mer and mer somehow being different words. Tubi, it's more popular than being French. See you in there. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man that wants you to know that what he does with his pumpkin pie is nobody's business but his own. Here is the captain. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. This week, we are very thankful to be sipping on some BBA Jesus Loves Fall bourbon barrel-aged pumpkin stout from the brilliant brewers at Holy Trinity Brewing. Where else but here in beautiful downtown Columbus, Ohio? This is the first bourbon barrel-aged release from Holy Trinity Brewing, and it's a great example of a smooth drinking beer from start to finish. Featuring obvious notes of oak and bourbon from fresh bourbon barrels from Watershed Distillery. Smooth. They help to smooth out this already smooth coffee flavor that just leaves you enjoying a little hint of pumpkin. Garage grade four out of five bottle caps. And here's to our friends that helped us out with this week's beer run. First up, a big thank you to Amber Stout in Spokane, Washington. And a big We Like Your Jib to Sherry D in Maple Valley, Washington. And a big shout out and thank you to Heather all the way over in Sutherland, Scotland. Everyone we just mentioned helped us out this week. And if you would like to help out the show, go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the donate button or pick something up from our store page. Yeah, sing it with me. B-W-E-R-R-U-N, beer run. And that is enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. We were all teenagers once. 
We all remember being young, carefree, having fun with our friends, and doing stupid things. Things that were pointless, done just for the fun of it. Pranks that caused no harm, but were a nuisance and annoyance to others. Teenagers do these things to buck against the rules, to rebel against authority, to give the middle finger to the authority. But they don't mean for anyone to get hurt. But unfortunately, sometimes people do get hurt. Sometimes pranks go wrong and property gets damaged or someone ends up injured. Most of the time, the prankster feels guilty and likely learned a valuable lesson. I'm sure we all have had moments when we remind ourselves, man, I still got a lot of growing up to do. But in our story today, a harmless prank went very wrong and it backfired. A lighthearted teenager having fun with his friends was shot by an enraged victim of the prank. A bright, charismatic young man was senselessly killed. For what? His involvement in a stupid prank? Valuable lesson learned? I think not. This is True Crime Garage. And this is the true crime story of the still unsolved homicide of Garrett Burton. In 2008, Garrett Burton was a 16-year-old junior at Westland High School in Columbus, Ohio. His parents, Patty and George, were divorced at this time. Garrett lived with his mom on the far west side. He had two brothers. His mom, Patty, was a first grade teacher at Highland Elementary. Garrett's father, George, was a career Columbus police officer when this happened. He retired in 2013 with 33 years of service. At school, Garrett participated in golf, swimming, basketball, and bowling. So as we can see, this is a very active kid. On top of sports and school, Garrett held down a part-time job at Kroger's on West Broad Street. This is a large grocery store where Garrett stayed busy stocking shelves and so on. Garrett was universally described as nice, polite, and friendly. After he was killed, other kids reflected that he was always smiling, kind, and helpful. He always sensed when someone was down and tried to boost their spirits to help them out. There was not one whisper that Garrett was the type of kid that was going down the wrong path or a troubled youth. That was not the case here. Garrett had a loving family. He had positive role models. He had everything going for him. Quote, he was a good boy, growing up to be a good man said Patty Burton to 10TV. She admitted that Garrett's youthful exuberance and good nature meant that he sometimes was late for class and failed to complete his schoolwork. But no one, not friends, teachers, school administrators, no one suggested that Garrett was anything other than a fun-loving, mischievous teen. 
Garrett's high school nickname was Winnie the Pooh. Yes, he was the kind of kid that bought other kids a lunch or helped a teacher carry her things. Even though he was just 16, Garrett was a big dude. He was six foot, one inches tall, 240 pounds. So he was the big teddy bear type. His favorite cars were Mustangs and Hummers. He loved rap music and was a big sports fan cheering on the Buckeyes, Bengals, Cavs, and Spurs. On Labor Day 2008, there was rumors that a student had been killed. Texts were flying among the students at Westland High School. They were all saying that Garrett Burton was dead. The students were reeling. Garrett was a good kid, popular and well-liked throughout the school. But everyone was hearing that he had been shot, which really made no sense to his classmates. Garrett wasn't in a gang. He didn't fraternize with those who were. He didn't do drugs, and he certainly didn't sell them. So everybody was wondering, one, could this be true? And if so, how could this be? Yeah, and you don't get the nickname Winnie the Pooh unless you're a big teddy bear. A gentle giant is how I picture Garrett. Now, the kids were saying that Garrett had been involved in a prank that had gone horribly wrong. Now, normally, Captain, Mm -hmm. when kids hear about others pranking people and things not going as planned, they expect to hear that someone's property got damaged or maybe someone was injured, possibly that the kids got caught by the police and had to pay for repairs or restitution. The result, usually when a prank goes wrong is that kids get grounded or they get community service. Yeah. Or they get caught by the school. So they get detentions or suspended. No one expects to hear that the kid got killed. Police knocked on the door of Patty Burton in the wee hours of Saturday morning, August 30th. It was still dark outside. The police asked for a photo of Patty's son, Garrett. Then the officers had to tell Patty that the unthinkable had happened. Later, Patty told 10TV, quote, they said, you need to sit down. I said, sit down for what? They said, ma'am, your son has been murdered, end quote. Of course, this horrible news is beyond belief. Patty called the officers liars, saying she refused to believe them. But sadly, it was true. Then police went to the home of one of their own to notify fellow officer George Burton that his son had been murdered. Hundreds of people attended Garrett's funeral at Trinity United Methodist Church. Garrett was buried in Greenlawn Cemetery, and a marble bench was installed as a memorial. There was a moment of silence observed in honor of Garrett at the next high school football game, and the band dedicated their performance to him as well. Students were shocked and horrified. Many of them knew Garrett, and his sudden death was very traumatizing to all of the kids, to say the least. Yeah, it's a situation that just doesn't make a lot of sense, so let's dive into the timeline of the events. As we know, the timeline is so important to any of these investigations. We're going to start off on the Friday, which would be kicking off the Labor Day weekend. On this Friday, this is August 29th, Patty Burton dropped her son Garrett off at school. Now, she's unaware at this time that this would be the last time that she would see her son alive. Knowing her son was too old for public kisses, she patted his arm, told him to have a blessed day. After school, 
Garrett was picked up by an older kid the Burton family said was a trusted friend. The family didn't know what Garrett was up to that evening, but they would tell 10TV that his curfew was 11.30 p.m. and that the friend had promised to get Garrett home by that time. Now, in full disclosure here, Captain, there is another article that says actually that Garrett had planned to stay overnight at the friend's house. Right, but either way, if Garrett was coming home or whether he's staying at a friend's house, teenagers' curfew in Columbus, Ohio, would be in the house by midnight. So that was supposed to be the events for that evening. But later, Garrett's family found out that the friend took Garrett to a house party with other young adults. That's how this group of people is described, other young adults. People that were older than Garrett, whom he likely did not know. Regardless of what went down or what was supposed to go down, Garrett did not make it home that night. This is going to lead us to 2.45 a.m. on Saturday, August 30th, when a man named Romero, he's opening up his door because he's woken up to police pounding on his front door. He opens up the door. Police ask him, hey, have you heard any gunshots? He says no. The officers then leave. They return about a half hour later. They knock on the door again. This time they're telling him, don't go outside because there's a dead body in your backyard. The police had been summoned to the scene by a 911 call from a young man who was with Garrett that night. They said, quote, I have to report a murder. The voices clearly panicked on 911. He was calling from the house where Garrett had been hanging out with the older teens. So we got to break this down a little bit and give a little bit of reference here. There was the house party where Garrett Burton is later shot and killed is not at that house party. They had left that party and the party was somewhat nearby, but one of the individuals that Garrett left with returned to that house to make the call to 911 to get officers and an ambulance to the scene. Seems funny to me that if he's out with a few other teenagers committing pranks, that one of the individuals would have a cell phone on them and could have made a call from where they're making the pranks from, if that, if that makes any sense. The first clues police responding to the scene noted were eggshells on the road. This is Hilliard Rome Road. The cops learned that the boys had been throwing eggs at passing cars on Hilliard Rome Road. It's been reported pretty consistently that Garrett was with a group of boys. By some reports, the group was Garrett and three young men who were in on the prank together. Garrett, from my understanding, from the reports that we have seen, Captain, says that he is the only juvenile in the group. So basically... Garrett's hanging out with a couple older guys. They decide to leave the party. Okay, hey, let's get some eggs and let's throw them at cars passing by on Hilliard Rome Road, which is a pretty busy road. It is pretty busy, but again, Columbus is the kind of city that as large as it is, late at night, you don't see a lot of traffic on some of these roads, especially the ones that are out in the suburbs. And this would have been 
the hour of these events to me are very much key. And we're going to circle back to those in just a minute. Garrett's body was removed by the coroner's office. This at 8.30 a.m. that morning. By that point, it's now broad daylight. Presumably, police were searching the area for shell casings, tire marks, broken eggshells, shoe prints, and so on. They would be trying to reenact what happened based on the statements of Garrett's friends about where they were standing, where they found the eggshells. They want to piece this whole scene together to get a better idea of what went down that night leading up to this murder. Now, 10TV or WBNS did quite a bit of reporting on this case, and we are using them as one of our main sources for our information that we're delivering here today on this week's true crime case. Their piece on the day after the shooting says Garrett Burton and some friends were throwing eggs at passing cars near Hilliard Rome Road when someone approached the group and shot Burton in the head, killing him. Okay, so that makes me think that the person that approached them is approaching these individuals on foot. The scene itself and the way everything goes down is a little confusing because, surprisingly to me, Captain, the police have been a little hush-hush on what happened. Now, I have some questions and concerns about that, and we'll get into those as we go, but the, the location is also very key here, right? So Garrett was actually shot to death in the backyard of a home that is located in a neighborhood on a quiet cul-de-sac. The address is 5402 Ripplemead Road. This is south of I-70, of Interstate 70. So this is technically, I believe, Galloway, Ohio, by this point. Right. The home belongs to that Romero person, uh, who I'm only going to give out his first name, as he likely does not live there this to this day and doesn't have much to offer in this case as far as information. As we said, he was sleeping at the time and said he didn't hear any gunshots. So the home belongs to this Romero person. He's the guy that was awakened by the police. His backyard backs up to Hilliard Rome Road, and it was separated from the roadway with a white fence and a line of evergreen trees. Picture this. Look, we're... We have a wonderful audience, the true crime garage, army, deputies, whatever we're supposed to be calling them. I, I, I haven't been told lately what to call them, uh, but the wonderful people that, that tune into our show. The filthy animals. They're great people. They're sexy. I don't believe that all of them have been saints their entire life. I'm sure somebody has thrown a, a, a roll of toilet paper at some point or maybe has done something that they regret as as an adult but picture this this is kind of the perfect setup as the captain said this is a busy roadway it would be less busy at this time of night but if you were looking to egg some cars this is almost your perfect setup you have the fence you have the evergreen trees you can hide behind them of course if you're going to throw eggs at motorists which is dangerous for Many, many reasons. It's a it's a stupid act, but again, he's sixteen. We've done we've all done a lot of stupid It's a stupid things. act, but it's not terribly uncommon. And it doesn't mean right. that he's a bad person. 
but you can see the setup where this is a an ideal spot for this type of activity because you can hide, you could launch your eggs at the cars that you see coming down the road, and then you can duck and hide as they get close. And you, then mm-hmm. you probably, you know, you have the kids snickering and laughing and and really kind of just yucking it up as the cars go by. If I was driving down Hilliard Rome Road and I got hit by a couple eggs, I'd be a little pissed off, but not that big of a it's, deal. Drive your car through the car wash. and It's and not the biggest deal, but I also want to point out for the younger listeners out there that this is dangerous because you could potentially, the motorist could be shocked, scared, disturbed enough to lose control mm-hmm. of their vehicle. And now we're talking about a whole different situation that nobody wants to be a part of. So just, it is, a, it's a very dangerous, a very dangerous thing to, to surprisingly dangerous thing to be doing. Well, and also the, the difficult thing here is if you're hit with like a water balloon or something, the water is going to wash off the car. So if you get hit, let's say on the windshield, not so with an egg, that egg could smear and uh, basically blind their vision for a minute. So that's another reason why this is also dangerous. So this spot, as I said, to me, sounds like an ideal location for this type of activity. The house party that Garrett and the trusted older friend were at, this was across Hilliard Rome Road, a couple of hundred feet away, so up the road. The address was 300 Smith Road. So this is in within walking distance. But just to be clear here, the party location and where the eggs were being thrown from, two different locations within walking distance, a couple of hundred feet away. Right. It appears that the boys had crossed Hilliard Rome Road and hidden themselves among this tree line bordering the fence, selecting that area because, again, it's an ideal vantage point for egg throwing. There was also a wide open area behind a neighborhood of homes. So there was plenty of space for the boys to make use of. So it seems the boys were standing in this open space near this man's home, probably hiding behind the trees, watching for headlights to come down the road and then hurling eggs at the vehicles. In the dark, the drivers would almost certainly not see the projectiles launched at their cars until they are hit. Yeah, I agree with you that this is a a convenient spot to throw eggs, but it's also possible that they weren't hiding in the tree line and that they were closer to the road. And so that the people driving by might have actually seen these individuals throw the eggs. Well, and as we said, this was all reported by word of mouth to his classmates and friends that Garrett was killed in a prank that went horribly wrong. All right, we're going to we're going to have to lead up to that because look, all across America, throwing eggs at houses and cars, kids do this and they don't end up dead. But mm-hmm. I I do want to point out I read a, a disturbing article that that unfortunately it's not so terribly uncommon for someone to end up getting killed in this type of situation. And that's why we want to point out how dangerous this type of activity actually can be. Well, but think about this when you're a kid and, and we, we both did this, you know, you'd sneak outside your house with a couple of your buddies and maybe it was just to roam the streets. Well, if you're roaming a neighborhood and let's say you, you decide to play ding dong ditch, you know, where you ring the doorbell and take off running, you could startle somebody 
and they're on their property. They're at their house. This is happening in the wee hours of the morning where people are going to be on higher alert. You know what I mean? So just doing any of these pranks or, you know, the common prank where they take a, a, a bag of dog shit and light it on fire and put it on, you know, and ring the doorbell. What, but what you're doing because of the wee hours of the morning, you're putting yourself in a dangerous situation. Well, and I think anytime we talk about property damage too, you're putting yourself in a dangerous situation. You don't know how the person's going to react. The article I read and I'll reference it earlier or I'll reference it later. It's in my notes here and I'll find that so that people can go and find it and read it for themselves. But the article basically states that here's a, here's a handful of cases where an egging situation went horribly wrong, where either the a motorist right. lost control. These are, aren't all situations of throwing eggs at cars. Most of them are, but the motorist lost control and had an accident and died in the vehicle or the person who got egged reacted very violently and killed the person who was egging them or a scuffle broke right. out between the two and the person that was throwing the eggs killed the person they were throwing them at. There's also a situation where one person started chasing the person that was throwing eggs in their vehicle, and that ended up in a vehicular deaths. This is dangerous stuff. You, you know, you don't, when you go and decide to do something that nobody likes to somebody, the reaction, you don't know what you're getting. It's you're spinning the wheel of what could this reaction be, and you're playing a, a bit of a dangerous game. Yeah, and and let's go back to the idea that Garrett's a good kid. He has good parents. He's involved in a lot of activities. And sometimes, or in this case, Garrett made a bad decision by by getting involved with this prank. But that doesn't mean that he deserved to die. Oh, clearly not. Clearly not. Now, Garrett's parents stated that they were told by police based on statements from the other kids that were with Garrett, that the shooter first scolded Garrett and then shot him in the head. 10 TV quoted George Burton as saying about the shooter quote, he said, get your hands up or I'm going to blow your face in Garrett put his hands up and said, okay. And barely got out a third. Okay. And the guy just pulled the trigger End quote. This information came from an eyewitness, as we said. The witness was one of Garrett's friends who was, according to this article, about 20 feet away from Garrett when he was shot. But, unfortunately, this friend did not get a good look at the shooter. And then we get some more details in 2019. Again, a piece from 10TV that said, Police say Garrett was with friends and throwing eggs at passing cars near Hilliard Rome Road when someone, reportedly mad about the prank, approached the group with a gun. Patty, Garrett's mother, says what happened next is a first-hand account from one of Garrett's friends who was hiding behind a tree about 10 feet away. And he said to me he saw Garrett put his hands up and say, I did not throw any eggs at your car. But he said, I can help you wash it off. Patty goes on to say the person persisted and demanded Garrett, who was six foot one inches tall, 240 pounds, get down. Garrett, because of his size, was having a hard time trying to get down on one knee and the shooter put the gun right on Garrett's neck. The dispatch reported that Garrett's father, George, did not know the other youths. 
his son was reportedly with that night, and he did not know anything about egg-throwing activities in the past. It wasn't like this was a regular thing for Garrett, he implied, but somehow Garrett had ended up paying for it with his life. Quote, it was basically an execution as far as I'm concerned, end quote. This is what George told the dispatch. Are you sick of dealing with psoriasis and an itchy scalp? Sick of scratching your head trying to figure out how to fix it? Check out Ocean Soothe, a natural solution that relieves psoriasis and problematic skin and scalp conditions. Sourced in Australia and manufactured in the USA, Ocean Soothe products deliver relief to the areas where you need it most. They offer head-to-toe solutions so you don't need to put together a whole cocktail of products to treat your skin. The Ocean Soothe gel and lotions are recognized by National Psoriasis Foundation to relieve psoriasis and can be used across your whole body. They're naturally made so you shouldn't experience any side effects and they're odorless. So you get relief without the stink. For optimal psoriasis relief, start with Ocean Soothe Gel during the day followed by Ocean Soothe Lotion at night. And if you want on-the-go relief for dandruff or dry, itchy scalp, the Ocean Soothe Scalp Serum is all you need. There are so many products out there that I've tried that don't work, and they leave you stinky. So now you have dry, red, itchy, scratchy skin, and you stink, but not with Ocean Soothe. Finally, a solution for my skin. Ocean Soothe has saved my skin. Abundant Natural Health's Ocean Soothe products are available at CVS Health Hub stores. Head over and shop today. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are in France, which means Tubi is more popular than cigarettes for breakfast. It's more popular than considering iced coffee a total abomination. More popular than loving political revolutions. More popular than mer and mer somehow being different words. Tubi, it's more popular than being French. See you in there. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month, when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited-time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. 
That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. It takes you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. You'll step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. Use your observation skills to quickly uncover key pieces of information that lead to chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. And customize your very own luxurious estate island. Think expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. Collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. And you can chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. All right, we are back. Cheers, mates. Cheers to you, Colonel. Cheers to you as well, Captain. So we can see how this plays out, right? The boys are hiding behind some trees. It's very dark outside at that time. Mm -hmm. It's nearly three in the morning. There was no moon that night. Question for you, because I I don't see it reported anywhere, but do we know how many people were out with Garrett? The reports state that it was a total of four. Three people plus Garrett. So it's very possible that Garrett isn't even responsible for hitting this murderer's car. Correct. And we have that statement from earlier where one of the boys reported that he heard Garrett tell the person, I did not throw eggs at your car, but I'll help you wash it off. The the problem here with some of these statements by the people that are with Garrett is I think that once they were aware that somebody else was there... They might have all been quite frightened. And right. again, we have the statement, two different statements, one where we have uh, another individual that's 20 feet away. And then another statement that says there was an individual 10 feet away. Neither of them are able to describe the shooter or or as it's believed, neither of them got a good look at the shooter. Yeah, and it doesn't which, seem like anybody has a good eyewitness report of the vehicle either. Exactly. And so that's the problem here with this case. If the police have this information and they're holding it back, I don't know what the hell they're doing here because this is the kind of case that you're going to need the help from the public. And now this was 2008 when Garrett Burton was killed. It's 2022 today. Right. And if they have additional information, this should have been released throughout that period of time to lead to who this killer was. We need to keep in mind, regardless of some kids throwing eggs or whatever that night, 
this person walked up and in cold blood shot a 16 year old right in the head. This is a, this this is is a very dangerous individual, even though they may have been victimized leading up to this. And again, we don't even know if this person's car was, was actually hit. Like I said, is it possible that these kids were, were doing something and, uh, they throw something. And so he sees that the guy sees that they're throwing something, but his car is not hit himself. And he just gets out and then decides to take the law in his own hands. Or is it possible that he was one of the neighbors and saw these kids doing that and then, you know, went around the corner to see what was going on and, and then lost control or something. I, I, I I don't know. It's just seems so ridiculous. Well, and you're going to see where the possibilities of who our suspect is opens up and gets a little more difficult as we go through this information. Because as you said, you can see a situation where these kids are hiding in the dark, hiding behind trees and a fence, and they are not spotted by any drivers. But it looks like in this case, at least one of the drivers may have seen them stopped and pulled over or stopped and pulled over and figured out where the eggs were coming from. It's not clear, though, based off of the information and the reports that we've seen, if the kids, if the boys had any idea that there was someone coming after them. Right. Because we don't have in within those statements, there's nobody saying, Oh, we saw this guy approach us, or we saw some guy park his car. And here, here's what kind of car it was. And we started to flee. It doesn't sound like anybody was in the, in, in flee mode at that point. It sounds to me like they were all still kind of standing around Or do we have a situation where, yes, they spotted this guy en route to them and they decided to hide and be quiet? Right. And I wish the reporting was better. But also, I I still think it's a possibility that if these individuals are 10 feet away, 20 feet, maybe even further away from each other, and they're hiding on this tree line that backs up to properties is it possible that somebody that lived in those properties comes out because they hear some ruckus and hears some people talking? I mean, if I'm in my house and I start hearing some people talking at three o'clock in the morning outside of my house and they sound like they're coming from my backyard, I'm going to go and check that out. You know what I mean? And so is it possible that it was one of these neighbors that went to check out to see what was going on? and? And then this uh, horrible tragedy happens. Not only that, think about this too. If you look at the lay of the land here and you look at a road map with Hilliard Rome Road and where this neighborhood is that backs up to Hilliard Rome Road, keep in mind the time of night. Yes, this is a busy road, but at 2.33 in the morning, I would argue that the overwhelming majority of people traveling on that road are traveling on that road to get to their destination. They're not just out driving around. Right. They're not, they're not out looking to go pick up some fast food. The probability of the person traveling on Hilliard Rome Road in that direction at that time of night and them living in that neighborhood that backs up to Hilliard Rome Road, I would think that probability would be fairly high. Right. 
And so you may have a double whammy situation where it's not just a driver on Hilliard Rome Road, but it's also somebody that was driving to that neighborhood anyway. Yeah. And like you said, their car is hit with an egg. They drive back to their house. They're in their driveway. Then they hear some kids talking behind their house and they go, oh, going to go inside and get my gun and teach these kids a lesson. Well, you nailed it. And of course, we have Garrett's parents who are grief stricken, as any parents would be. But they also express the sense of disbelief that any logical person would have such an incredible overreaction to the situation. And Garrett's father, George, said to the media, quote, it was a dumb juvenile prank. You get your car washed. Don't kill my kid. Right. We have... Garrett's mother, Patty, she's saying something very similar that you were saying here, Captain. She told 10 TV, quote, it wasn't something they should have done, talking about her son and the boys, but they certainly did not deserve to be shot in the head over some eggs. This is a sick person, end quote. She goes on to say, if I could just reverse this, I would much rather go downtown and take my son out of jail. Yeah, and this person easily could have just walked away and i guarantee you old winnie the pooh garrett it shows you what kind of kid he is hey i I, one i didn't throw the egg at your car i'm you know i'm sorry uh but but i'll wash your car i'll help make this right for a kid to say that and you have to look straight at that kid and pull a trigger and take that kid's life, there's something really wrong with you. I think gun or no gun, I think the appropriate response is, okay, kid, which house is yours? Because we're knocking on your door and telling mom and dad right, what you and your buddies have been out doing. I think that's the appropriate response. But again, or I'm going to do- call the cops. Yes. When you're and you can do some community service, but Again, when you do these types of things, when you are, they are, you know, let's not sugarcoat it too much. They are victimizing random people. And when you do that, you do not know, nobody can calculate what the reaction will be. And speaking of what we don't know, there is a lot that we don't know about this case. Most things, in fact, for example, the police have never released the following information where Garrett went and what he was doing in the approximately 10 hours or 11 hours between the end of school that day. And when he was found shot, we don't know the range at which Garrett was shot other than we have the statement of that the gun, one of the boys believes that he saw the shooter, put the gun right to Garrett's neck, whether or more one shot was fired. We don't know if the bullet was recovered. It could have been recovered from Garrett or elsewhere at the scene. Right. Whether shell whether shell casings were found. And we also don't know whether Garrett died instantly or was he able to say anything. We know he died at the scene, but was he able to say anything to one of his friends or to a first responder? Or what were the actions of his, of the guys he was with? Because it's hard to say that these guys were even friends with him because we have no report of this vehicle. And I know that they're probably in a huge state of shock, but that would be my first thing 
oh my God, they just killed my buddy for us doing this stupid prank. And what's his vehicle? What's the license plate? What does this guy look like? Well, and I don't want to come down too hard on Columbus Police Department because I do believe that they do, as a whole, they do a great job. They keep us safe, Captain, so we can't be too strict with them. But this, to me, I'm a little disappointed because this, to me, looks like a solvable case, or at least it would have been in 2008. All Mm -hmm. of these years later, I don't have a lot of confidence that this case is getting solved. But in 2008, 2009, I would have had a lot of confidence that this case would have been solved. But again, we should throw out the reminder and remind ourselves as well that the egg throwing portion of this story is totally random, right? They are tossing eggs at random passerbys. Right. And then the person that shot Garrett is a little random itself. So you throw in all of those variables and the randomness of those variables, and you can see how complicated you can see how complicated and convoluted this case gets from jump street. Yeah. But well, let's, let's go back to the road for a second. This Hilliard Rome road. Okay. Even if Garrett's and you can call them buddies or whatever you want to call them. I don't think they're buddies. Not, not because they didn't do any, it seems to me that they did nothing to figure out who shot their buddy, but there's not a lot of cars on this road. So you'd think if they put this out, blasted it all over the news, Hey, this kid was shot for throwing eggs. We believe that the person that killed him, the murderer had their car parked on Hilliard Rome road during this time. So during that time, there would have had to be a handful of cars that passed that vehicle parked on the side of the road, probably with their lights on who knows. Right. Mm -hmm. And so to see this car, you know, at almost 3 AM parked on the side of the road, you're going to have cars, you know, passing them on northbound or southbound. You know what I mean? So you're going to have some other person that could come forward and say, well, I saw, this type of vehicle parked on the side of the road, because at least if you have that, that starts narrowing it down a little bit. I I get it. I actually, I wish there was more information by the three dudes that were with him that night, but I, I kind of get it. I see it playing out. Like when we say, when the papers say this was a party, a house party that was full of young people, that that's, that's the words that they chose to use. And they're, they're purposely being vague the media and police on some of this, because we are talking about a child victim essentially with a 16 year old Garrett Burton being the one who's killed. Right. And the report in the paper is that he was the only juvenile out of that group of four. But what I'm guessing here, an inference I'm choosing to make is that those other three dudes are likely 18, maybe 19 at most. And I can picture the situation as if I were there myself. I think these other dudes, they're hiding and they either hear this person approaching them or at the very least, they're going to hear the person scolding Garrett. Right. We know that from witness statements and then they hear the gun go off again. We don't know how many shots were fired, but I'm picturing a situation where these other three dudes are hiding in the trees or hiding nearby and they're probably shitting bricks. They are probably shitting bricks. And so 
but you bring up some really good questions here. And again, this is things that I think, look, Delphi is a case that's on everybody's mind right now and has been for five and a half years. And we all have looked at that case and looked at many other cases and questioned how much of a strategic advantage is it to not release information? And when is it a strategic advantage to release certain information? And in this case, in Garrett Burton's case, we don't know very much. You know, again, we don't know. These would all be things that would help the public help the police. We don't know. Did the car stop? Do we know for certain that a vehicle stopped? Because as you pointed out, it seems to me like somebody would have an idea if a vehicle stopped. Is it possible that it was a neighbor who saw the boys and what they were up to? So if you don't see a car, no one see a car or, or, or says, hey, we don't know where this guy came from. There's a chance he may have come from the neighborhood. Can you tell us what the eyewitnesses claim that the shooter said? Well, that's very interesting because we have two different reports. And again, we have three guys there. So maybe that is the reason for having different eyewitness reports. But what makes it to the paper is... One where the individual says, I was standing about 20 feet away. I heard the shooter scold him. And it sounds like Garrett was trying to reason with this person. And then he shoots Garrett. Right. And then the other statement is that Garrett, again, trying to reason with the person, but the shooter is ordering him to get down on the ground and Based off of the statement, it sounds like the witness was one close enough and could see Garrett attempting to get down on one knee or getting down on one knee, but he's not getting down fast enough for the shooter. And then the shooter reacts, puts the gun closer to Garrett and pulls the trigger. The other thing too, there is a possibility. Some of these guns have a hair trigger and it, it, it may have just gone off on the person. I tend to believe that that's, not a high probability in this yeah. case, but it is certainly somewhat of, of a possibility, but it goes beyond seeing a car park or not, right? They would know what kind of gun he was shot with. Right. So that's information that could help the public Two, Yeah. Maybe you didn't get a good look at the shooter, but did you get a look, good look at anything he was wearing? Was he wearing dark clothing, light clothing? Did he appear to be tall or short? We know that they heard the person's voice because the witnesses are describing or trying to relay almost verbatim what they believe they heard the shooter say. What did the the guy's voice sound like? Right, because if you you start there and go, was it male or female? Oh, well, it was male. Okay, was he was he black? Was he white? Could could you tell? And, right. and again, did a car park because. I could, like I said, I could see a situation where you hear these kids laughing and, and making noise and all this stuff. It's 3 a.m. And, and the guy comes out and, and again, very irresponsible because it, there is a big possibility that this guy comes out and just says, you guys are throwing eggs at cars. Do you think that's funny? You know what I mean? And because, and like you said, hair trigger or whatever, but there is a possibility because of Garrett's size that this individual goes out, he gets his gun, he he's he's nervous, and then he accidentally pulls the trigger. You know what I mean? Because he because he put himself in a situation he shouldn't have been in. 
if you are approaching a six foot one, 240 pound individual in the dark that you do not know, I think you're going to be nervous gun or no gun. So that's certainly a possibility here. And the other thing too, with his voice, did he have a high voice? Did he have a low voice? Did he sound like he was out of breath? You know, there's a lot of things that we could, we could learn or be told by police and possibly help out back in the day. Here's another idea. I wonder, did they track Garrett's phone? According to his parents, he had a cell phone and he had his phone on him. Did they, did they retrace his movements that afternoon, that evening leading up to the shooting? And maybe that's of no useful information at all, but it, it's something that I'm wondering if they did. Here's the big thing. Did they look at surveillance footage from nearby homes and businesses? Yes, it's 2008, so you don't have as many ring doorbell cams or um, simply safe cameras on people's homes. But we have businesses in that general area. We also have traffic cameras in that area. Uh, On Hilliard Rome Road, 100% 2008, they would have had traffic cameras. Right. This is a major thoroughfare with commercial businesses, most of which of those businesses would have cameras. So Columbus, as what's reported on the national scale, Columbus has more cameras than most American cities. I would wager that surely police pulled the footage and wrote down every car that they saw on Hilliard Rome Road that night between the hours of 2 and 3 a.m. Did they look for tire tracks to try to identify the shooter's vehicle? or where it possibly pulled over. Well, and also you have to deal with the fact that these people that he was with, his quote-unquote buddies, are they telling us the truth? Did they go out to throw eggs at cars, and then did it escalate? Were they throwing branches at cars? Were they throwing rocks at cars? Did they do something that escalated the situation even further? I mean, who knows? It's very suspicious to me that your friend is shot. You have kids that probably have cell phones and there's no call that's made at the scene of the crime. You should be calling 911 right from there, but they go back to the original location to make the phone call to police. Well, and police seem to possibly be working with the theory that maybe the shooter was someone holding a grudge from a previous incident. So this is from the Chillicothe Gazette in an article dated September 25th, 2008. So not terribly long after the shooting, it says the group of teenagers may have thrown eggs at cars prior to that night that Burton was killed. Investigators think it is possible that someone that teens hit with eggs may have come back and shot Burton. This is because it was reported that other residents who live nearby said eggshells were found along the road earlier in the week as well. Now, we're not saying that Garrett was a part of these other possible situations. Yeah, but it's it's possible that his buddies that he was with, they did this a week before. And then they said, hey, let's go out. Let's go out and do this again. Garrett just happened to be with them. And you know what? When we talk about a house party with young adults or young people there, you might have a situation where mom and dad go away for a whole week, 
or longer. They leave their 18-year-old, 19-year-old son or daughter at home who has a party or has friends over regularly during that time period that the parents are gone. And maybe this is an activity that they had done once before leading up to this or twice before leading up to this. And maybe you had somebody who was driving around hoping to be hit one more time because this was, you know, a vigilante type of person who was going to take justice and take the law into their own hands. Almost a, I liken this case to that of a road rage situation, Mm -hmm. you know, where somebody loses their mind, goes off the rails and does something so terribly overboard and out of bounds in reaction to something that happened to them. Right. And I think that's one of the problems with even solving this case is it could be really a very normal guy that was just a little pissed off, a little nervous, shouldn't have brought a gun into that situation and made a horrible mistake. But here's where I think the public can still help here, Captain, because this this is what I'm gleaning from this situation. If the if the gun accidentally goes off or the the shooter was terrified, scared, shaken in his boots, shaken in his Nike's and accidentally pulls the trigger. No. I feel like we have a situation where this guy is turning he's he's learning the next day or two, oh my god, I killed a 16-year-old. Mhm. And maybe he's turning himself in or or getting a lawyer and going to police and saying, hey, I was that guy that night. Because, again, I think Garrett's parents are absolutely spot on with their evaluation of the shooter. This is not a normal person. A normal person, even with this overreaction, would have come forward. They they the guilt would kill them. The guilt would kill them. They would not be able to sleep at night. They would slowly go crazy and have to relieve themselves of that pain and that misery by turning themselves in. What I think we might have here is somebody that is the opposite of that. And if they were seeking out some type of vigilante type justice, or if this was a one-off road rage type situation, I would believe that you have a guy that would be almost bragging on on rare occasion, but bragging to somebody that says, oh, he, this would be the type of guy that, that when you're discussing different situations or you see something on TV or hear something in the news, this is the type of guy that says, not me. If that happened to me, oh, yeah. I'd teach those boys a lesson. Oh, I'd straighten that kid out or I'd straighten that guy out. You know what I'd do with him? Oh, I'd stick my gun right in his face. Right. You know, I think that that's the type of individual that we might be dealing with here. And if people know somebody like that, or this, there's a chance that somebody could have told a story that is vaguely familiar to this story. Oh, you know what happened to me one night? I was driving home, minding my own business. And these, this gang of kids, gang of, of dudes started effing with me. Oh, I straightened those guys out. I got out of the car. I went up and I found one of them. Right. You know, it's, I think that this person may have told somebody, I think that there's also a certain probability that this individual may have lived in that neighborhood. And if that person, if the shooter did live in that neighborhood, then there's a chance that they were hit previously that week. If there were other egg throwing 
incidents that were going on. Yeah, if I'm law enforcement, my first thing is, do I believe the individuals that were with Garrett? Because their actions afterwards, to me, seem suspicious. So I want to know their actions beforehand and afterwards, and do I believe them? But here in Columbus in December of 2006, we had a similar incident where a young boy, 14 years old, Danny Crawford, he and two of his buddies, they were out egging cars on West Broad Street, this in the hilltop area of Columbus. They splattered this SUV with a couple of eggs, and it wasn't a situation where the vehicle's owner flipped them off or hit the horn and drove on. No, this person instead pulled behind North Terrence Avenue and chased the kids and opened fire on the teens. And Danny in that group of three was shot and killed. And it took till February of 2010 when they finally arrested an individual that lived on East 11th Avenue in South Linden, which is also part of Columbus. The shooter at the time was just 19 years old. And so that's just another situation. Now, th these two situations are not related in any way at all. They happen in the same city, a couple years apart. But this is another situation to show you that this is not completely out of the realm of possibility when this type of behavior is, is going on. Yeah. And again, just to reiterate, this Gary was a good kid. Yes. But he made a mistake and, and his parents say that too. But again, have him arrested or, you know, have his parents come pick him up. I mean, and, and the thing that really bothers me is like, if it's a true statement, Hey, I'll even wash your car. This kid is showing remorse for something that maybe he, he didn't even do that actual, you know what I mean? He, he didn't throw that actual egg, but he's, he still knows that, Hey, I'm in a bad situation or doing a bad thing. And he's shown remorse right away. And it, it's just, it's such a, it's such a loss because this kid was 16 years old and, um, you know, and his mother was a teacher and his father was a, a police officer. Look, he, he might've grown up to become one of the finest police officers on, on, on CPD force, you know, but we'll never know what he would have become because he he made a bad decision that night and then this person took the law into their own hands and that's not okay. Garrett's case stalled and in 2010 the family pled for any information to be called into Crime Stoppers. They reminded the public that tips can be anonymous, there is no call tracing or caller ID, no names need to be given and computer IP addresses are not visible to those taking the tips. And then let's fast forward another year. In 2011, three years after the shooting, Central Ohio Crime Stoppers announced that they were renewing a $2,000 reward for information in the case. This is interesting, though, to me here, Captain. This renewed reward was available only until September 10th 
of that year, which I, I don't know if that was a crime stoppers thing or if that was a strategic thing, because this is in August, late August of 2011. And they make an announcement. This, this reward money is still available. We're renewing this reward money, but it's only available for basically 10, 11 days. So I don't know if they were hoping to really get a push for information or if that was something significant to their investigation, that time frame right there. One thing of note, in my opinion, in the Crime Stoppers write-up is the following language. It says, quote, on Saturday, August 30th, 2008, at approximately 3 a.m., several teens were throwing eggs at vehicles driving on Hilliard Rome Road north of West Broad Street. 16-year-old Garrett Burton was one of the teens. As a result of one vehicle being struck, a yet unidentified male suspect pursued and shot Garrett. 16-year-old Garrett died at the scene. So that language is interesting to me because it sounds like there's confirmation that the shooter was in a vehicle that was hit by one or all of the teens. Now they could just be making leaps right. of their own based off of what they believe the interaction was between Garrett and the shooter. But the interaction is Garrett saying, I did not hit your car. So it's all very confusing. I, again, I think, this right. language to me indicates that indeed police have inf information possibly from, well, presumably it'd have to be from Garrett's companions, the ones that were with him that night, that one of them did hit this person's car and the shooting was a direct result of that event. This would definitely be a difficult case to investigate, but if they know the make and model of this vehicle, police should release that information. Exactly. And the thing is too, if, if this vehicle was hit by an egg, this would set up a likely situation that one of the survivors that was with Garrett that night could have possibly, if even if they didn't get a good look at the shooter, did they get a good look at the gun? Did they get a good look at the vehicle? It well, that goes back to my theory that if you're law enforcement, you have to figure out if you believe these guys or not. Are they changing the story to benefit themselves? Was it an SUV? Was it a sedan? Was it a pickup truck? I mean, the, the questions are endless here to trying to lead us to get some more information about who is responsible for this. Now, I know that everybody's different, but one thing that me and a couple of my buddies, we kind of prided ourselves on when we were teenagers and even in our early 20s was the ability to identify a vehicle make and model in year, roughly year, based off of a vehicle's headlights. Uh, because they have specific types of headlights. And that was something that we were able to do at a probably a 90 to 95% success rate. So it's one of those situations where you just go, we need more information. The public needs more information to see if we can help here in this situation, help Garrett's parents out, help solve this case. And any information would be good information. Makes me sad for the city of Columbus because this is a case that should have never went away from the public spotlight. This is a case that we should have been outraged about a 16 year old kid being executed it's just, it's, it's very sad. And as I had referenced earlier, there's plenty of history of pranks like 
the one Garrett and his buddies were engaged in going bad, going horribly wrong. Specifically, egg throwing has resulted in some serious payback, the lethal kind. The article that I cited earlier, Captain, was from a New York Times article in 2010 that states Halloween eggings have left a violent legacy in New York City since 1984. At least 24 people have been seriously wounded or killed in stabbings, shootings, beatings, or accidents sparked by egg-throwing confrontations around the Halloween holiday. All 24 cases played out in roughly the same way. A group of boys hurled eggs at pedestrians, cars, or houses. The targets confronted the throwers, and then violence erupted. And it goes on to cite 24 such examples of this in this 2010 New York Times article. What articles like these tell us is that sadly fatalities directly resulting from egg throwing are much more common than one would think. These incidents highlight the total lack of regard for human life and total loss of perspective, similar to road rage that can escalate from mundane teenage pranks. Garrett Burton may just be another casualty of a bad egg-throwing decision, but his life mattered, and he in no way deserved to be snuffed out just because someone's paint job was tarnished. A cross marks the spot where Garrett was shot. It's a reminder to passerbys of the senseless murder of a young man filled with promise. Hopefully, it also serves as a reminder to his killer that his evil actions destroyed a young life and hopefully his killer is a haunted man. I want to thank you guys so much for joining us here in the garage. Colonel, do we have any recommended reading for the beautiful listeners? We'll give you some recommended listening. This week, we are recommending Solving the Black Dahlia, available on Audible. This is a case that has fascinated the captain and I for many, many years. And the Solving the Black Dahlia from Audible was the shot in the arm that I needed to restore my fascination in this case. And regardless if you have Audible or not, you should check out my interview with Douglas Laux on our other show, Off the Record, available on Stitcher Premium. Douglas not only narrates solving the Black Dahlia, but spent years conducting his own investigation, which is a breakthrough as Douglas is a former case officer with the CIA. Check out Solving the Black Dahlia only on Audible, and check out our interview with Douglas Laux on Off the Record this week. You can find that title and many more on our recommended page at truecrimegarage.com. Until next week. Be good, be kind, and don't litter.
Finding the music you love shouldn't be hard. That's why Pandora makes it easy to explore all your favorites and discover new artists and genres you'll love. Enjoy a personalized listening experience simply by selecting any song or album, and we'll make a station crafted just for you. Best of all, you can listen for free. Download Pandora on the Apple App Store or Google Play and start hearing the soundtrack to your life.